Father, we are sure of one thing. That is, what you say you will do. You have said that when even two or three of us who are your followers are together, you are with us. We know that you're here this morning, Father, and we are asking, just as we have sung, that we would know the working of your Spirit in our hearts. I pray that we would set aside all of the things that would distract us this morning, all the things that are happening in our lives, and our families, in our minds, that would keep us from hearing your word. And that's, that's really all we ask for, Father. All I ask this morning is that we would hear your voice, that the words coming out of my mouth would be your words, not my own. Not my thoughts, Father, but yours. Let us hear your truth this morning. Use it to change our hearts and to make us who you have always intended for us to be. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. One of the key figures of the Old Testament is a man named David. If you've spent much time at all reading the Old Testament for yourself, you're probably somewhat familiar with David. David was a shepherd boy. He was the youngest son of eight sons in a family. In the culture that David grew up in, that means that he was pretty much nobody. Now in our, our culture, the youngest of a family of three or five or eight would be what? The baby. The precious, precious baby. Tim was a, the baby. His family, he was, he was, he was pampered, put up on a little pedestal, right Tim? that's not really how the ancient biblical Hebrew culture worked if you were the youngest you were just kind of an afterthought really you kind of got the uh, short straw as it were things that needed to be done around the around the ranch and that was David's life. He was a shepherd boy. He, he, he didn't even hang out at the house when company came over. He was out on the back 40 watching the sheep. But David went from being just a humble shepherd boy to being anointed king of Israel and rose to power and fame through the blessing of Almighty God to be one of the most powerful men in the world at the time that he was alive. And during that time, David developed his his relationship with God. David was a talented guy. He was a poet, and he was a musician. He was a writer, and he wrote songs of worship and praise. We have a lot of them preserved for us over thousands of years in the book of Psalms. Much of the Psalms are the songs and poems that David wrote And he was a passionate worshiper of God. He wrote songs about God's goodness and his love and his holiness. 
And as that relationship developed, God in turn called David a man after his own heart. Imagine God saying that about you. He was a man after God's own heart. And he walked in step with Almighty God. And they had true communion together. They had fellowship together. But as time went on, David grew comfortable. And then he grew apathetic. And then he grew careless with his thoughts and his actions. And David found himself not where he needed to be spiritually and physically. And as a result of that, he sinned grievously. If you were to read the story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, you will read that David, the one who at one point was a man after God's own heart, committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. As a result of their adultery, Bathsheba became pregnant. In order to try to cover it up, David arranged for her husband, whose name was Uriah, David arranged to have Uriah murdered. David thought he was hiding all of this, but God revealed it to a man named Nathan, who was a prophet, and Nathan confronted David with his sin. And David realized that he had destroyed his fellowship with God. And Psalm 51 is David's prayer of repentance. It's his cry for forgiveness and restoration. If you read Psalm 51, David is asking, What do I need to do, God? How can I make this right between you and me? Now, we're here today to commune with God. Some of you may not have been thinking about it that way when you get up this morning and made the decision to come. But I truly believe that everybody that's here this morning is here because on some level you care about your relationship with God. Now some of you here this morning may not even have a relationship with God, and that's why I say on some level you care about it. You may not even understand what it is or what that means. But for some reason you get up this morning, you decided to come here. You didn't arrive here by accident. And so we have to ask ourselves the same question. How is it that we can have true communion with Almighty God? How is that even possible? Because when we look at our hearts, what do we see? Well, if we're honest, we see sin, we see pride, we see inconsistency. Can we even have a relationship with God? Does he want a relationship with God? Does he want us? Is it even possible? How is it that we can have true communion with Almighty God? Well, we're going to look for a few minutes at Psalm 51, but I have to tell you, if you have your Bible here this morning, if you have something to write on, make sure you write this reference down, Psalm 51, and take some time to read through the whole thing there. 
17 or 18 verses here, and we're not going to read them all. If we were going to look at this whole thing and glean everything that there was to get out of Psalm 51, we'd have to do a five or six part message series, and I've got about 20 minutes. So we're not going to get everything there is to get out of Psalm 51. So after we talk about it together, open your Bible sometime in the next couple of days and read the whole thing through and, and put it all together. I'm just going to read a handful of verses here, but what I want you to see as we do that is that this communion, this fellowship, this relationship depends on the mercy and the forgiveness of God and not on our ability to clean up our messes. Because that's usually what we think, right? If we've advanced, if we've progressed enough in our relationship with God to know that we can have a relationship with God, and we've progressed enough in our relationship with Him to know that we can mess it up, Most of the time we presume that if we clean it up, that's what fixes it. I want you to see that Psalm 51 tells us that's not the case. What I want you to see this morning is what God does and then what our response to that is, okay? So first of all, let's see what God does in verse 1. So if you have your Bible, you can follow as I read Psalm 51 verse 1. And David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. So what God does, what does God do? First of all, I want you to see that what God does is show us mercy, which speaks to what he doesn't do, which is wipe us off the face of the earth. Okay? How many people have ever heard someone say, God is love? Ever heard anybody say that? That's true, by the way. For those of you that haven't, the other two-thirds of you, you need to, you know, dig them out. People talk about it all the time, right? God is love. And that is true. John says that in 1 John, God is love. Absolutely, he is love. God is also holy. God is also just. And because of his holiness and justice, when we sin, that sin needs to be paid for. It needs to be taken care of. It needs to be punished. And when God does not punish us for our sin, that is called mercy. See, mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. So what does God do? God shows us mercy. Uh, David says, abundant mercy. He doesn't wipe us off the face of the earth. Now, how many of you have ever heard someone say something like, you know, if God wanted to, he could send a bolt of lightning and zap you, or if God wanted to, he could squish you like a bug under his shoe. Anybody ever heard anybody say anything like that? Also true, because God created all of this. It's all under his control. God does not wipe us off the face of the earth, but notice what he does wipe away. You see that in the verse? Look at the verse. What does it say? What does he 
blot out our transgressions, our sins. The word blot out just means to abolish. He wipes it away. Elsewhere in the Psalms, David says he buries it in the deepest ocean. He removes it as far as the east is from the west. So what it's going to do, he shows us mercy. It doesn't wipe us off the earth. It wipes our sin away. Why does he do it? Why doesn't he destroy us? And why does he abolish our sin? Because of his unchanging love. See that? It says it right in the verse. According to your steadfast love. Your love that never changes. You and I can have a relationship with God. We can commune with him. We can experience his comfort. Not because of what we bring to the table. But because of God's character. Almighty God loves you. He cares about you. And what I want you to see in this verse is that he stoops down to shower you with compassion and me. That's what God does. So what's our response? Let's look at verse 6. Our response. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. How should we respond to the love and mercy of God that we see in verse 1? How should we respond? With honesty. With authenticity, with transparency. That's how we should respond. Notice that David says, you delight in truth in the inward being. Literally means there, desire. You know what God desires? He desires truth from you. He wants the inside of you to be truthful. In the inward being. In other words, what is covered needs to be revealed. Now, we get up in the morning and we get cleaned up and we get dressed and we go out to face the day. What do people see? They see this. They hear what comes out of our mouths. They see what we do. But what they cannot see is what's inside here. You see, we as human beings have developed this incredible capability of hiding what's in here and letting people see what we want them to see. Right? Nod your head if you agree with that or have experienced it on some level in your life. Yeah. We do that. David says, our response to God's love and mercy is to be authentic, to reveal what is concealed, what cannot be seen. When I come before God, he wants me to be honest about what's in my heart. A few years ago, a doctor named Leon Bender was the chief medical officer of a very prominent hospital, and he took his family on vacation, took them on a cruise, and was really disturbed by the fact that he saw the crew members on the cruise ship much more diligent about hand-washing than his own doctors were in his hospital. So he returned from vacation on a mission to get the hand-washing up to 100%. And he did everything he could think of 
to encourage his doctors, his nurses, his staff, his administrators to be continually washing their hands because, of course, he knew that the main cause of infection amongst their patients were germs transferred from hands, right? He did everything he could think of, and he could not get compliance above 80%. One day, he had a brainstorm, and he had two of his lab technicians stand outside the cafeteria right after lunch, and he made the first 20 doctors who came out of the cafeteria place their hands in a sterile Petri dish, and he had the lab techs take it back to the lab and grow the cultures, and then he had his lab department take microscopic photographs of what they found and what grew in those cultures. And he shared those pictures with his staff. And what they saw horrified them. Grotesque gobs of bacteria on their hands. And all the doctors could think about was those were the hands that would be touching their patients as they examined them, not to mention the hands they just used to eat a turkey wrap in the cafeteria. Bender took the 10 or 20 worst of those pictures and had his IT department develop a screensaver and required that it be added to every screen in the hospital so that everyone would be reminded of what could not be seen by the naked eye. Compliance rocketed up to almost 100%. But that's like us, right? They can't see it. I know it's there, but they can't see it. And God says, what I want, what I desire is truth in the inward being. Now, that's a scary thing, isn't it? It's a scary thing. How can I possibly admit what's in my heart? Now, I'm not saying that you should go out on the street corner and take a bullhorn And announce it, I'm talking about your relationship with God. And I'm talking about how we like to bend the knee before God and say, God, I'm doing good. Everything's okay. Thanks for everything. I'm out. How can we do that? Remember, this is your response to the unchanging love and the immense mercy of God. Put those two things together. Don't separate them. Put them together. Because what that means is, instead of coming to God trembling and fearful that he will wipe us off the face of the earth, we can come to him confidently knowing that he will still love us. If you can remember from when you were a child or if you are in the middle of the point of your life where you have children, ask yourself why your children do not want to tell you when they mess up. Why? Why don't they want to tell you? Why don't they want to be honest about the broken lamp or the missing cookies 
whatever it is, because they're afraid of what's going to happen. God's immense mercy, his unchanging love, our response, honesty. Let's move on. Verse 10. Let's do it again. What does God do? Verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. What God does? Well, here is where we often go off the rails because we figure when we screw up, we got to clean up our own mess, right? We got to fix this. You can't do it. You can't do it. Just like the kid who gathers up the pieces of the broken lamp and finds some Elmer's glue in the drawer and tries to put that lamp back together so that you don't notice it's broken, you can't put this back together. You can't do it. What does God do? He forgives us. He purifies that. Create in me, what does he say? A clean heart, O God. Literally, a pure heart. Oh, man, I need that. I need that. Because I know what's in here. I know the pride that's in here. I know the selfishness. I know the anger. I know the lust. I know it. It's my heart. And I need God, to give me a pure heart. David says, create in me a clean heart, God. That word literally means to shape. I did a little bit of digging. I kind of, these things interest me. I like to try to find out, if I can, how these words are used. And I found out that this word in the Hebrew language was used... uh, of things that you would cut and trim with a knife. It's not create like in Genesis. You know, we read in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means to create something out of nothing. This is a completely different word. It means to make something or fashion something by trimming with a knife. It's the word you would use if you needed to write something back in those days when instead of ballpoint pens, they used quills and ink and they would take a knife and they would sharpen the end of the quill the end of the feather so that they could dip it in the inkwell it's the word they would use if they were making arrows where they would take a a branch or a stick or a a stem and they would trim off the, the bark of the branch or cut off the little knots where the branches were that's the word And David uses it to describe the work that needs to happen in our hearts. Our hearts need to be trimmed. They need to be shaped. The razor-sharp truth of God's Word needs to operate on our hearts and make them clean again. I don't care how talented a surgeon you are. There's one thing that you can't do. You know what that is? Operate on yourself. You can't do this yourself. He renews a right spirit within us, a consistent spirit. Because of his wonderful forgiveness, 
He gives us the clean heart and the clean start that we need. A reset that we can't do ourselves. Well, what's our response to that? Verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Pay attention here, people. Because we think we know what God wants, right? If I were to ask you, what does God want? A lot of you would say, I know what God wants. God wants me to come to church every week. God wants me to serve Him. God wants to be, me to be generous with my money. God wants me to be kind to other people. Of course, God wants those things. Of course, those things are important. But it's not what He wants most of all. It's not what He wants first of all. What's our response to the forgiveness God gives and the purity He creates in our hearts? David says our response is a broken spirit. It literally means broken in pieces. This is the exact opposite of what our world says. Our world says, get it all together. You can do this. You're a strong person. You're an independent person. You can do it. But God tells us the opposite. God tells us, you know what I want most of all? I want you to bring me your broken life, your shattered heart. I want you to just gather up the pieces and bring them to me. Again, picture the kid who's knocked over his mother's favorite lamp and is now faced with 35 jagged pieces. God doesn't want you to try to put all those things back together. He wants you to bring him all the pieces. A broken spirit, a contrite heart, he says. The word contrite there means literally crushed collapsed, no strength left. You ever gotten to that point in your life? Where you wake up, maybe literally in the morning, and you're laying there and you're thinking, ever felt this? I'm done. I am done. I got nothing left. It's exactly what David is talking about here. A contrite spirit. Friends, the only way for us to respond properly to the forgiveness and the purity that God gives us is humility. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve it. This is all because of God and none of me. Can I just plant this little seed in your mind? Maybe you won't remember anything else that happens today, anything that we talk about. Maybe you could remember this one thing, okay? You ready? Here it is. 
God is not interested in us just showing up and giving him stuff. You know why? Because God gave it all to us in the first place, and if he wanted it, he could just take it. I know that's hard for us to understand sometimes because we think we built these amazing lives. Look at everything that we've done. Look at everything I've accomplished and look at me giving it back to God. God doesn't want it. He could take it if he wanted it. By the way, if that was the way this worked, that God wanted us to walk into his presence and give him stuff, we would take pride in doing it. We would say, look at what we've done. Look at us, God. Look how great we are. Look how much we love you, because look at all this stuff we're giving you. That's what we would do. Paul says it. Paul says it in Ephesians 2. Salvation, it's not about what we do, or else we would, anybody know the verse? Boast. We would boast about it. Even if God did 95% of it and we did five, we'd boast about that five till the cows come home. God would never hear the end of it. Say, but well, Mike, what about what about what we are supposed to do? I mean, God does tell us that that we're to be generous, that we're to be kind to others, that we are to serve him, that it's good for us to come together in church. You're right, my friends. You are right. God does ask that we do those things. Certainly he asks for our obedience. But here's the difference. The difference is how we bring it. One way is like this. Here you go, God. One little of this, one little of that. Showed up on Sunday. Dropped a 20 in the plate, had a 5, could have done that, did the 20. I was kind. I didn't yell at the guy that cut me off in Market Square on my way here. I'm generous. That's one way to come. Or we can do all those things completely the opposite, on our knees and on our faces before Almighty God, and we can say, God... For all that you've done for me, this is what I have, and it's yours. Those are two really different things, aren't they? Two really different attitudes about how we come before God. Okay. So how is it that you can have true communion with Almighty God? How is it? Well, the mercy and forgiveness of God makes it possible my challenge to you this morning is just this, to stop trying to clean yourself up and accept his mercy, to stop trying to buy your way in with your actions and humble yourself and see his greatness. Well, this is what I think. Now, you can do whatever you want, okay? You can do whatever you want. You can walk out of here and you can say, man, he was wound up about a whole lot of nothing there today. You can do whatever you want. But I got to tell you, folks, when I look at Scripture, 
you know what comes to my mind? I don't deserve to be here. And by here, I'm not talking about standing in the auditorium of Oxford Hills High School on a Sunday morning. I mean here, here, physically, philosophically, spiritually, any which way you want to talk about it. I don't deserve to be here. But you know what? God invites me to come to the table. Nothing to do with what I bring. Everything to do with who he is. Will you do that? Will you stop trying to see it your way? See what God has graciously done for us. We're literally being invited to the table today because we're going to celebrate communion together. When we celebrate communion, this is what we're saying. We're saying, God, I understand what you have done for me through Jesus Christ. I understand that Christ made a sacrifice that I could not make. He paid the price for my sin, and I am thankful for that, and I believe that, and I am trusting nothing more and nothing less than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for my sin. That's it. I don't bring anything. Christ did everything for me. So we're giving thanks for that. And you know what we're also doing? We're also looking ahead to the time that's coming when we're going to stand before God. And you know what he's going to do on that day? You can read it in Revelation if you want. You know what he's going to do? He's going to invite us to the table again, another table. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And you know who's going to be there? Not the people who went to church every week, not the people who were kind all the time, not the people who were generous, not the people who did all the things they thought God was asking them to do. People who are going to be there are all the people who have honestly poured out their hearts before God who have humbled themselves before his greatness and his holiness and justice and said, God, I can do none of this. You have done all of it. Save me. That's who's going to be at that table. So this morning at this table, I want you to be thinking about that table. And when we stand before him, I'm going to ask the guys if they would come down this morning. Come right now, guys. We're going to ask the Lord's blessing. We do this with these symbols, bread, a cup, symbols of Christ's body and his blood. If you're not a Christ follower here this morning, that's okay. I hope you don't have to feel embarrassed by not partaking. It's all right, but those of us who are are going to do that. As the guys pass it out, go ahead, take take the bread, give thanks for Christ's sacrifice, go ahead and eat it. And then they're going to come around with a cup. And when you receive that, you can do the same. Go ahead and drink it. Joe and Tyre are going to lead us in a couple of songs as we contemplate what Christ has done for us. And we're going to pray. Father, thank you for your mercy and your love, the purity and forgiveness that you impart to us. It is all of you, Father, and none of us. 
And this morning as we celebrate communion together, may our hearts and minds be reminded of your great generosity and your wonderful grace. In Christ's name. It says, when I stand before the throne at last, his blood will plead my innocence. Friends, do not plan to stand before the throne of Almighty God and try to plead your own innocence. It will not end well. Let him do it. Let him do what only he can do. Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace, the blood of Jesus Christ, the pure hearts that you give us, the way you renew our hearts and minds. We need it, Father. We need it daily. We need it multiple times in the same day. And so we humble ourselves before you and we plead for your grace. We ask for your strength. And in that attitude, Father, I pray that you will just help us to move out into this community and show that same love and grace to all those who are around us. Father, you have done what only you could through Jesus Christ, and we are so thankful. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. Have a great week. was lost I walked away the road was dark I could not see my hope was gone the pain was real but your mercy you saw my steps felt my fears You heard my cries You caught my tears Arms open wide You ran to me With your mercy